Hey everyone, this is Jesse, George, and Robert, and this is BitBytes, an analytical discussion about gaming. Thanks for joining us. So, this is going to be a heavier topic, disclaimer at the top, but we're going to try to approach it as neutrally as possible. I think it's going to be obvious, our feelings about certain subjects, but I think it's good to talk about these things. We are do- we've are we been doing a video game podcast for over a year now, and I think it would, it would be doing a disservice to not touch on this at some point. And with the recent news, I mean, mass shootings have been happening for a while now, but there's been quite a few recently in Dayton and El Paso where video games have come under fire as being a cause, an instigator for this mm-hmm. violence, real world violence. And this is nothing new. It's it's often been a scapegoat, but it seems like, I don't know if you guys feel the same way, but it seems like that line of reasoning has died down in the past several years and it's making a resurgence. Yeah. It's like, okay, let's bring this one out of the box, dust it off and use it again. So we thought, hey, let's actually... Take a look. Let's step back. Take a look. What are our thoughts on video games and violence? Cool. So I'm going to kick it off. We'll start with the most obvious places, kind of like where this all started. So if we go all the way back to the beginning, where first-person shooters started. People aren't necessarily blaming Mario for jumping on Goombas or... (laughs) Exactly, yeah. yeah exactly. This isn't uh, violence uh, against... Guts that are being spilled out from <laughs> yeah, the Exactly. Squashing. Yeah. So if we go back to the the original scapegoat, it's Wolfenstein 3D, which is so old now. If you go back and watch it, it's like, oh, that's cute. But at the time, it was like, whoa, that's super violent. And it has lots of Nazi imagery in it. I don't know. Have you guys actually played Wolfenstein 3D? No. I've seen videos. I have not actually played the game. Okay. This this video game was released the year I was born, and I have a bad... I, I'm very bad about going back in time and playing old games, so <laughs> no, definitely not. It's understandable. So, really interesting. I would not expect this of the house I grew up in, thinking back on it now, but we actually had this on our gateway, and my mom played it. What? Yeah, I'm serious. What? I don't know. This is probably closer to like 96, 97 or something like that, because I still remember this clearly. Our whole family played it. And it's just like a Nazi mowdown fest <laughs> with like yeah. gore and, and violent deaths and dogs and all this stuff. Mecha Hitler. It's pretty like it's even by today's standards, just like if you think about what you're doing in the game, it's, it's, it's fairly intense. Just all polygons. Yeah, exactly. It's just the aesthetic of it now. It's yeah. just like, oh, that was a long time ago. But yeah, so when this game came out, it wasn't a national reaction to it. This was a global reaction to this game because it was so controversial. I mean, I don't think we had seen anything like this before it came out. So specifically, as one would assume with all the Nazi imagery, the German government responded to it really strongly. And they had this pre-existing criminal code for banning... It's not just Nazi imagery. It's actually like some communist... Yeah. You know, other sorts of related, almost that has kind of a cult following. Yeah, like uh, Hammer and Sickle is one of them. So that whole kind of grouping of stuff, they're like, yeah, so we don't want to prominently feature that unless it's uh, kind of falls under the purview of critical commentary seems to be. That's not the language they use in the law, but like Inglorious Bastards. Mm -hmm. That's 
widely distributed in Germany in like uncensored way because it's making commentary about. I, I don't think it's too far to say either that those are kind of considered a more radical, almost extremist kind of you know view and outlook on the world. Yeah, definitely. But so this law had been pre-existing, but in 98, after Wolfenstein 3D had been around for six years and made its rounds and been very successful, people started to pay more attention to it. And so they're like, okay, this existing criminal code that we have for banning these symbols, we're going to explicitly include video games into that language. And the reasoning that they offered was, quote, this could lead young gamers growing up with these symbols and insignias and thereby becoming used to them. It would potentially make them more vulnerable to ideological manipulation by national socialist ideas, end quote. Hmm. They're basically stating right there what all of the people who are attacking video games as the source for all the mass shooting and violence, they're, they're stating right here that that's... That's the cause that these could manipulate young gamers into doing acts like that. Yeah. I mean, there are lots of things that fall under Nazism, but, you know, some level of eugenics. It's not even specific to that. It's just saying symbols and insignias, basically anything attached to specific ideas uh, in, in a game could influence the people that play. But because of what those things symbolize, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, what does the ideolo- ideology fully encompass? And it fully encompasses like these very extreme views that are, I guess, getting to the final objective and seeing that world vision is typically done through violent means. But it's like the ideas in and of themselves are not actually violent, right? In lots of different cultures when the, in history, when there's been a predominant religion that gets overtaken or just even comes up when people are like, oh yeah, paganism is cool and then we want to introduce something different. There's, I think there's violence in that too. Anytime there's ideological takeover in an existing culture, there's resistance to it that is, I mean, because it's a, it's a clashing of values and beliefs. Like it's very at core type of struggle and it's like, oh, we're dealing with slavery. How are we going to reconcile that? We have to go to war. Because it gets to that level of confrontation where they're mutually incompatible worldviews. And this is such an extreme one. And it calls for such extreme measures to see its vision through that I guess maybe it, it does have violence baked in because I, there's I no other way for it to... I don't think it at this point. It'd be, it'd be one thing if this was the first time this was ever thought of, like this, this ideological stance, like... This is the first time anyone's come up with it, and this is my new stance, and this is the symbol associated with I'm going to represent it, right? And it's never you never had to use violence to put this ideology in place before. That'd be one thing. But no, like the symbols they're talking about, like the Nazi symbols and communist symbols, that's just history has baked them together at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Do you guys think that that line of reasoning or this explanation for including video games in this criminal code based on the content in Wolfenstein 3D, is that appropriate for the time? Well, it's interesting because, like, stepping away from video games for a second, I think the Germans have, have an interesting approach with dealing with their bloody history. Like, there, there's definitely shame, and there's we're not going to in any way put, put our history up on a pedestal. We're not going to keep statues or 
road names or building names that reference that past that the world has decided that is wrong and modern German government agrees with that and so they're not doing anything to glorify those old their history and I think that's part of you know why now you you don't see those symbols everywhere and you know even as history you might see it in museums but like that's because museums are places of learning history, not of glorifying. So, I mean, that's part of a bigger discussion about, you know, how does the U.S. handle its bad history? <laughs> not the same. I feel like that's a that's a much broader topic for like yeah. a whole another episode. Or no, it, and that's not you know even related to video games. What I'm saying is they're basically applying that social way of handling their their past and applying it quite deeply into the art and video games that's that they allow in their country. I mean, is it wise to be careful in that way when you have that? Honestly, what happened yesterday in terms of the overall span of history, it wasn't mm-hmm. that long ago for mm-hmm. us to be extra discerning about when there's this mm-hmm. kind of... I mean, it's, it's not like there's... In, incidental Nazism imagery included in this game and it's just part of it. And then it's not, it's at the central focal point. You are literally on like a mass killing spree, just murdering Nazis and their dogs. And then actually Hitler, he's in like a mech suit, but yeah, I don't know. What do you think, George? It's kind of split two ways. Like part of me is like, there is something more kind of underneath that you're not necessarily thinking about on the surface level as you're playing these, you know, games and stuff like that but i also think about you know the person who originally came up with an idea of like what would it be like if the germans you know won the war you know what would life be like after that and they're you know it's kind of both ways it's like that particular topic there's not any way to not kind of go about it and kind of probably what would be an extreme way because mm-hmm. it's such a huge part of you know that whole movement is just centered around just any you know angle that you kind of look at it is you know a lot of destruction and violence and all that kind of stuff so even if you were to go the flip side you're gonna have what you know was um wolfenstein 3d is like okay nazis took over and all that stuff there's going to be revolution and revolt and all that kind of stuff and then you know Mm -hmm. there's creative liberty with that obviously like there's a there's a balance between having the symbol and ideology in common culture and like they're, they're trying to repress that, but I don't sense that they're trying to hide it in any way. Like you were discussing earlier, Robert, like they, they want there to be, they want people to know that their history was wrong and there's shame there. So does a game like this or a movie like Inglorious Bastards that, that fall on the, we recognize that's bad and we're going to make art that depicts you on the right side in a very over the top fashion? Or is that too far? Because it does have, you are like going back in history and using that era. You have a couple options as a reaction to when something like that happens. And one of them is to be neutral, which is to... See, I don't think you can be neutral in a game like that. Then the particular reason for it is because, let's say that there's a game, central idea is the Nazis won the war and now the world is influenced by Germany and, and all that kind of stuff and Hitler and, and whatnot. 
let's say they take a neutral approach where you're just like you live in this society, you build houses or whatever, and you live under this regime of whatever it is that they decide to do. To me, that is even more so glorifying because obviously that didn't happen. That's, you know, saying, oh, it's okay, you know. So are you saying that the reboot, like the newest, not the newest Wolfenstein game, but the original reboot game where that was the plot, where they were kind of exploring what it'd be like if Nazis had won the war and that whole thing is even worse than Wolfenstein 3D, where it's like you're an agent, it's fictitious, but you're in the, you know, presumably like 1940, I don't know exactly when the time is, but during the war, you're just going through and murdering Nazis at the time of the war. Like a fantasy. What's all the backstory for Wolfenstein 3D? I so I don't really know that there is a whole lot of story. It's just the game is like you're just sh- shooting on. We're going to shoot enemies. Let's th- let's let those enemies be. Is Nazis. there no premise? Everyone to, like, hates Nazis. The game. No, no. I think it's like Blazkowicz is an agent. You go through these pre-made maps. It's sort of like Doom in that way, where you piece it together through context and environment. But it's not like you get these slates of. Yeah, I was thinking more neutral post. Like, what if they took like an approach of Animal Crossing or something like that, and you live and thrive in this? There's economics and all that kind of stuff. (laughs) In it, that's what I'm saying. So you live in a fascist state, but it's it's like like a day to day. So much worse than taking kind of an extreme stance. Yeah, but that's that is literally the plot of. I, is it uh, the new Colossus is the second one? What's the first one? The original reboot? I forget what the Shadow of the Colossus. No. no. What did you say? No. Sorry. Uh, the new Colossus I think is Wolfenstein two, and they go oh, yeah, more yeah, yeah, into yeah, that yeah. territory. But yeah, even yeah, the original yeah. reboot—that's the whole concept—is like Blatskovitz, but in more recent times, and it's kind of this alternate timeline where Nazis have won the war and taken over the United States. So the reboot is just a more fleshed-out version of the original. I think it kind of takes it in a little bit of a different direction. Like it is more story based, which is interesting because, because there's not as much of an explicit story in 3d and it's just kind of like a violent mow them down. Nazis are bad thing. I don't know. Like, is that worse to be more nuanced with the story and to explore ideas like that? I'd rather take the nuance because at least the mowing down Nazis. Yes, we can all agree the Nazis bad. And you know, if you're going to pick any over the top enemy to mow down it'd be nazis but i'd rather take the nuanced it's actually making a statement because i think that requires the player to actually uh, they're they're quote living life under that state so maybe they would actually get a sense not like not really but you know the best way they can through this video game get a sense of the bad that comes with that ideology if the whole point of this German law was to not what they don't want young gamers growing up with these symbols and insignias and becoming used to them, making them vulnerable, vulnerable to manipulation. If you associate those symbols and insignias with the enemy, or maybe you don't even know it's the enemy at first, but throughout the game, you realize how insidious they are. Uh, I think that could make a more long-term, a better long-term statement than just, the first Wolfenstein I see more is it's just set dressing. It's it's just a game to mow down something, and it's less about what you're mowing down. Yeah, it's almost like this is definitely speaking on behalf of the developer, but it's almost like we want to make a really violent game. How can we get away with that? Yeah. If we make the target Nazis, then we can. The, there's an infinite ceiling on how yeah. graphic we can be with violence. Mm-hmm. 
Whereas, uh, yeah, that's so true. If you have a more nuanced narrative, then you can actually comment and you'd be critical, especially if you're doing what is really kind of a complex thought experiment. So you Mm -hmm. make it more relevant by bringing into the now and because you're extrapolating and not just rehashing history and having to imagine that stuff, it activates people's thinking about how evil that is. Because if you bring it into now, you have to do all this like mental gymnastics of imagining how it would impact your everyday life, Mm -hmm. how it would be baked into like normal situations. Did any of you play Battlefield 1? Yes. Yeah. They were trying to make a conscious effort. It's set during World War One, correct? Yes. To really get the whole... Yes, it's a shooter where you're playing in World War... Like, you're you're yeah. you're in World War One, But they were making a conscious effort to make each life seem more valuable. Like, every time you died as a player character, you didn't just come back. It's like, it's a name and they're, they're the year they were born and now the span of their life was shown as like, no, that is a person that died. Don't be so willy-nilly with it. I I get a sense, I'm not the one that plays lots of shooter games at all, but I get the sense that a lot, they're trying to be a lot more conscious about the setting of games they make now. I think like the more commercially successful and larger ones, there's more, they're more conservative about what, you know, is put in or, you know, not put in or altering certain things to make it more kind of a nondescript generalized that if you look into it just a little bit, you can tell that, okay, they're drawing ties to this, but they're not outright saying, you know. Like the Empire and First Order. Or yeah. Obviously, they're yeah. doing the Nazi thing, but they're not called Nazis. Right. Is that better or worse? To draw on the stereotypes of real world conflicts, but not actually... I mean, call it as it is. If you don't have that, then I think you don't have a lot of art. Like, I think there's a lot of art that doesn't exist because you have to be so careful and so conservative that it can't tie to anything, but art ties to everything. It's like you you can't determine, you know, what one person is going to take something, you know, one way versus another and, and that sort of stuff. It's like, that's just my opinion. I guess I'm worried about history being watered down. Nazis being watered down, communism being watered down into just stereotypes to attach to villains in your made-up world. What would be the solution? Either, like Battlefield 1 did, is like actually set it in a conflict and try to show the horror of that conflict. And yes, you're playing a shooter, but it's not necessarily like you're just there to mow down people. It's like so the setting the goal, you're is in. Is the goal to kind of see both sides of the conflict? No, I think the developer can have a side if they want us, you know, to place the hero on a side. And But like, now I'm saying in terms of the person playing the game, is like, is the goal that, you know, you're not pushing in one particular direction too hard? Maybe it's like, you know, realize this is the horror of war. It's not just faceless enemies, it's other people that you're... Or go in the complete opposite direction. Stop using your tired stereotypes that maybe that's a Middle Eastern person, but it's not because it's a fictional world and just go fully fictional and like make your own backstory and setting. And there's games that do that. Give it its own history. And so you're, you're not dabbling in the politics of real world events. But that's what I'm saying. It's like, you could still play it safe, but still you're going to put stuff into the game that draws from the real world. And so people are going to be able to tie whether you choose to go like a very different route to this other destination over here. Mm-hmm. You're still going to pull stuff from the real world because that's all we can relate to. I think human 
behavior and society, there's things we can pull from that into our fictional worlds to make us relate, but it doesn't have to necessarily be. Right. You don't have to follow it like a formula stuff. It's like you can do your own thing. Like it's pulling on stereotypes from our own history, historical conflicts to populate your own. I don't know. I feel like that's the cheap way out of trying to get the emotions you might feel from fighting the Nazis in World War Two. You know, like and Halo, applying it to Halo is fictional. You know, an example of it's all of Earth fighting an alien race, mm-hmm. but you could still relate to it because you obviously you read history and all that kind of stuff of all these great wars that we had with you know World War Two and all that kind of stuff, and it's not obviously World War Two, and it's not obviously Nazi or whatever you want to put there versus everyone else, but those ideas and stuff like that are. They're not at the forefront, but they're just kind of like in the back here. I guess I want I want a shooter to not just be lazy about putting it in a setting. I want them to actually make a statement about, like with, you know, Halo. I haven't played any of the Halo games campaigns, but it seems to me like they are trying to make a statement about, like you just said, the world coming together, fighting a force, finding out the reasons behind said invasion and... Yep. There's there's a bigger statement that you could bring back into real life, and there's merits there you can pull from it. And I would also argue too that if you get too far off of bringing you know those human and real world qualities mm-hmm. and stuff like that, is like you won't have a game that is going to be relevant to people. Part of the reason why the Master Chief in the f- first few games doesn't ever speak is because they wanted people kind of like Link, mm-hmm. is to kind of embody that character yeah. to themselves. I mean, at the end of the day, you could probably find something that, you know, is fun and stuff like that. But it's like, it to me, that sounds more of just like a actual game with no story or anything like that. I guess I'm saying the shooters that do have a campaign or story or a setting, like in the in real world history and conflicts. I want them, if they're going to do that, make a statement. But I don't want it just a set dressing. I think it's it's doing a disservice to what, just use it. you make a statement? Set. I want them to have... Because uh, then you're forcing bias. You're kind of... You're saying it could be this or, you know, it could be that. If you're making a statement. Is that what you mean? Well, I just... I don't want them to use history or the world's history of violence as set dressing for their shooter. That has no meaning. I don't mind them using it in art. I just don't want it to be trashy art. <laughs> I it's feel like preference. it's disrespectful, personally. Uh, maybe irresponsible. Irresponsible? Yeah, because the reason I say that is because if you do something that pulls from real world, it's like, oh, there's an East and West world, and then it literally is playing up exaggerated values of the East and West real world, and you don't say something about those value sets, and you just use them as a cheap way to create a world and have characters be in conflict automatically and whatever, you just borrow that. Not only is it lazy, but you devalue those things. And because apparently uh, in a global way, we have really short-term memory as human beings collectively. When you invoke those things, if you're not saying something about, if you're invoking World War II and you're not saying something about reminding everyone how awful 
that is, that's irresponsible in my mind. Mm-hmm. Anything you do to make that more palatable or to I don't know. cheapen I mean, it. I think mm-hmm. you could attribute, you know, in, in the setting of that game is like the character that you're playing at is like they're rising up because their life has been hell. So I don't think that game would have ever flown by if it was just you're mowing down Nazis just to mow down Nazis. And you could say the same for like movies and stuff like that. It's like if it's just a movie that's just, you know, it's just mowing down. No, Nobody's going to show that in a theater. Literature, I feel like, is a little bit different. But in terms of just like media that you is visual and that sort of stuff is those things do exist, but they're in very, very small looking crannies. And you have to really, really search to be able to find that kind of stuff. And they're usually, you know, kind of a lower quality and, and that sort of stuff. And. Yeah, when you do a cross-comparison of different media, they're not all created equal. That's a really interesting point. Literature, you have to do the imagination piece. Visual media, video games, film, it's literally presented to you. And specifically with video games, it's literally presented to you and you are giving the input. So Mm -hmm. probably the closest proximity in terms of relationship to whatever Mm -hmm. is going on in the game, which is going to be kind of crucial moving forward because we have a couple more examples where yeah. it starts to become a little problematic. Yeah. I guess, and this is going to be a comparison with the next game we talk about, but I think my main point, and George, you're right, it is subjective, but I think when you're starting to invoke real-world conflicts, I, your word is better, Robert, irresponsible. It, it automatically has stuff baked in with that, and it should be treated appropriately and not thrown around and understanding what you're invoking when you bring in those. Yeah. Well, I think it's a problem too, is like you don't necessarily know the reception that your game is going to have. Because mm-hmm. like it's, I would like to think that most of these games are birthed out of like this, you know, much simpler, you know, pure in form idea. It's like, oh, hey, what if, you know, this happened and stuff like that. And then mm-hmm. when people get it and it becomes a commercially successful thing and it, you know, becomes kind of embedded in, you know, pop culture or whatever, you know, then it's like, okay, you can never have really anticipated that, you know, that was going to be a much bigger thing, you know, the level of influence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That's why it's good to take the current events into account and history into account. And I especially applaud the games that do subvert. They're like, okay, let's maybe change. Let's twist history a bit. Um, so what would happen if these people won instead? And like, how would you react in a different type of society and hopefully you as the hero character would do what is more morally right. <laughs> well, you could also argue that the new Wolfenstein games do do that. They don't show both sides, but we've already had the other side mm-hmm. in yeah. real world events. Yeah. And it's almost like be- because you're living in that thought experiment, it's implicit the impact of what had happened before because you're living in the aftermath. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of baked in. It's like basically I want, I want the player character to think about like okay how has this changed things why is it for the worse or better whatever and uh, i would almost say to the that that's not entirely on the developers i think they do have some responsibility but i think it's also on us and how we interpret what's their responsibility or not their responsibility whether the players come to that conclusion well yeah whether the players come to that conclusion or not is it's individual for each player but like i think that should be a goal of giving them enough material to work with. It's hard because, like, I I do hear and understand, like, what you're saying is, like, I, I do feel that games should be more aware 
mm-hmm. of how their games are influenced, especially nowadays. Because like what it was back in the eighties and nineties and stuff when it was still kind of more of in its infancy versus to what it is now, mm-hmm. is games definitely are you know much more at the forefront and much more prominent in people's lives than they were you know ten fifteen years ago. Mm-hmm. That being said, it's still going to be up to you know the people that play and consume these games and their own individual experiences and upbringing that's going to cause them to be influenced one way or another. Yeah, well, I think as as our games get more and more real <laughs> they uh they look more and more real they're they're uh very well modern modeled textured lit all that it is easier to make the game relate to the player uh and there's less having to put your own experiences into the game to compensate for yeah. like low polygons and all that so i would say that responsibility is uh, increases the the higher sure. fidelity you get. But I would also attribute that, you know, you have to make the distinction, too, that what you're seeing and what you're playing and all that kind of stuff isn't real. Well, it's a piece of, it's a piece of art, just as yeah. you approach literature and you uh, approach yeah. film and television. And that gives you, a, in a way, a to disconnect. The more you make the argument that video games are art, the more responsibility game developers have it's like what's the point of art like let's say even a game that's oh this is just for fun right like we're not trying to make a deeper message like Fortnite, right just a fun shooter for kids of all ages even if you make that equivalent over to movies and tv uh, like as the marvel movies right that's probably a really easy example of oh it's just a bunch of fun superhero movies it's not like deeper it's not like like, <laughs> no, they are deep. I think it's more you're, you've got to make the distinction that it is art and it's not the real world. Well, that's the argument I was just about to make, even though they're fun superhero movies that at first glance may seem like, oh, it's just it's eye candy. It's Well, no, they are making deeper messages about what makes a hero and blah, blah, blah. There's just, every movie has its own deeper message about humans and society. And I think that video games should not be exempt from that. Sure. Um, I would say that video games, for someone who's an engaged audience member, has the most drastic effect or highest level of influence over that person because of like the whole hypodermic needle. The Whatever's being communicated through the art is a particular perspective. Mm-hmm. And that person is consuming that perspective. They're literally like being asked to be have agency in a world of that perspective. Yeah, it's not just consuming. It yeah. is uh, you're actually engaging. It's not like you're just consuming a movie. Yes, maybe in your head you're analyzing and, you know, breaking it down. But in a video game, you physically move yeah, your you character. Yeah. And that whole, like, thing about getting immersed into a game and losing yourself in it, I feel like that a sign of a good game is actually one that has a difficult time for the person who's playing it to be aware of the distance that it is fiction, like getting lost in it is a sign of the developer was successful. So I think you're right at the end of the day, George, that people ideally should be able to distance themselves from it. It's fictional, but it's so easy to get swept up in really good fiction. Like even when I watch fellowship of the ring and I'm very emotionally invested in what's about to happen, I forget that orcs and elves and et cetera, 
and I'm like, you know, I'm in it. So I don't know. It's almost like the reality of art, specifically with video games, the relationship is so close. I feel like there is a burden of responsibility for the developer to acknowledge the medium, whatever kind of perspective they're communicating that it does have a high degree of influence on the audience. Mm -hmm. It's a big deal. Mm -hmm. I actually know of a very good example of all of this Mm -hmm. that's influenced for the better because it does tie to real world things, but the real world things that it does tie to is entirely fictitious and Mm -hmm. does not draw like you can't like point to a specific part, you know, part of the event in the game and be like, Oh yeah, that's that, you know, even though it doesn't have names or changed or doesn't have any, you know, uh, graphical depiction that, you know, Mm -hmm. Hellblade, Mm -hmm. Hellblade has a, a, what I think is a positive message Mm -hmm. is it's, you know, raising awareness and, and that sort of stuff on people that, you know, struggle with, you know, mental, you know, disorders and you know that sort of stuff and you can't draw any real world now it takes the kind of a celtic draws on the lore yeah real world lore and that's the the costume that it wears but beyond that it's like there's no but they use that set dressing for a particular reason right mm-hmm. yeah so there is a burden of responsibility with that too because if they were right, to use it in a way that was very distasteful it would be insulting or sure. some level of inappropriate for people who are have like a close relationship with that and you know, culture. that are actually mentally ill, yeah. Or like yeah. maybe you're you're helping form a opinion on people that might be plagued with the yeah. similar. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't mind that you use historical events. I just want it to be done in a responsible, respectful way. So at that message at the end of the day that you come away with is not at the end of the day you can only do so (laughs) much on your end and how people are going to take it is you know how people are going to take it but Mm -hmm. yeah i know like all art yeah yeah no that is a really good example and it's actually somewhat similar to that original point you're bringing up about battlefield one that brilliant mechanic where they're humanizing the player character Mm -hmm. and giving them a specific identity so when they die it's not nameless faceless and it does two things which is it encourages the audience not to be calloused by death. Mm-hmm. And then it also brings weight to the historical context at the same time. Yeah. It's so smart. I feel like the, I, I haven't played Hellblade, but I feel like whatever they're using as an invocation of like Celtic lore or whatever, it's probably playing up whatever their message is related to mental health. Right. So it's kind of like doing both at the same yes, time. Yes, but in an extremely abstract way. It's Which like you don't art. know that it's mental health unless, like, if you go into the game not knowing anything, like, any backstory about the game or, like, why the game was made or, you know, what's the purpose and stuff like that, you may not be able to completely draw conclusions because it took me a few playthroughs before I really started getting, like, what they were, you know. And that's perfectly fine. It's like you were saying earlier, you can't expect the player to fully get maybe if there's any deeper message the developers are trying to make. But there's some that are. Yeah. And maybe there'll be, maybe the char- the pe- players that don't get it right away, maybe when they're having discussions later in life, or maybe yeah. that's something they can draw upon and be like, oh, I did actually play something that had a yeah. similar feeling to that. And they might have a little bit more understanding. Yeah, I think that's the value in a game like that. And hopefully you had fun playing it. <laughs> I did and still do. Good. <laughs> <laughs> 
That is a really interesting example, though, because it is so fantasy and abstract. Is the burden of responsibility diminished the more abstract you go? If it's so disconnected from... I would say that it's good that they are abstract in the way that it is because it allows them to... Because it's very different from like a real-world thing. That's the shift that you have that allows people that don't you know, have those problems or issues to see decent res- representation of what people who actually do have, you know, those difficulties. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause if you were presented very literally, it wouldn't be, there wouldn't be as much of a connection. Yeah. It's kind of like the on ramp for people to understand it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, okay. Great yeah. segue. Uh-huh. Killed it. So Hellblade is a contemporary, wonderful example of video games doing powerful storytelling in educating people and entertaining, right? It's like doing all those things at once. Educating whether the players know it or not. Yeah, yeah. But I will say that the nature of the content and stuff like that is extremely dark. Mm-hmm. Like, not everybody's going to play it. Oh, yeah. This isn't a fun cruise. This is a yeah, buckle up. <laughs> but it's interesting because that almost seems to be the way that we understand video games now. And it may just be an insider thing. And tell me if I'm wrong, but... That's more the way I understand video games as like a serious medium for real storytelling and communicating Mm -hmm. difficult concepts and topics. It's a wonderful medium for that. And not every game does that. But it has the potential for it. It has the potential for it. So that now is being recognized. So way back when, not really that long ago, two decades ago, (laughs) Wolfenstein 3D is a call for censorship. It's like, whoa, we got to slow this thing down. But now we've, through, like you were alluding to earlier, Jesse, we have developed enough with the technology, the presentation and capability for video games now, where um, more recently, so Wolfenstein 2, the new Colossus, the second in the reboot, technically the third, I guess the old blood's an expansion of the first one, whatever, came out in 2017. It was released in Germany, and it was still fell under that original criminal code where they had to heavily censor the German version for the rele- local release there. Mm. Two years later, now, 2019, Wolfenstein Youngblood just came out like a couple months ago or whatever. I've been playing it. It's fun and problematic. <laughs> Two versions have been released in Germany. One's censored, one's not. And so there's been like this, within the past couple years, admission in Germany where specifically with the Nazi imagery, which is, this is, it's like the highest plane of judgment for controversy. Mm -hmm. It's like Germany and Nazism. It doesn't get more extreme than that, I guess. Where now there's this this admission that video games evolved enough to where they can be considered a more nuanced storytelling format and being directly compared to Schindler's List, The Diary of Anne Frank. Both of those things, literature, film, are available in Germany uncensored. And so because video games have changed enough, that change has been reflected in the law now. I don't know. Video games grew up. Well, you know, we've been talking a lot about incorporating uh, real world events and the nuance that comes with that in violent games. We have a violent history. Humanity does. Um, But what about a game that set in that completely fictional world that is also ultra violent Literally a year after Wolfenstein 3D was released, we get Doom. Love Doom. What's wrong with me? Yeah. Apparently I'm a bad person. Oh boy. Mm -hmm. Something's wrong with you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because Doom is a game where you're on the moons of Mars. 
shooty, shooty, bang, bang, lots of gore, lots of killing stuff. We're killing some, some mercenaries. We're killing some monsters. And then we go to hell and we kill some demons. Yeah. So that's super messed up. Are Mars and hell connected? Is there a portal? Anyway, completely fictional worlds where you're shooting demons, monster beings that are no way human-like. Yeah, we're not, we're not getting a whole lot of purpose in the original Doom for, like, why are we doing this? I don't know. It's just kind of like a murder spree. Mm-hmm. Within six years of that game being released, Columbine shootings happen. And after the fact, it's revealed that those two people were particularly engrossed in Doom. They liked it a lot. And they had built some custom maps for the game mm. that reportedly were not designed to test player skill and were more just like mapping out their high school and placing enemies in it that were easy to kill. It's kind of like for the purpose of simulating a massacre. Mm. It's like, yeah, that's kind of really messed up and that happened. But if you look at the large scope of the whole trajectory, it's like no art medium has ever been completely pure and unfaulted, you know? Yeah, that's not humanity. Right. I mean, they could have just set up little Lego models of their school to simulate paths they would take. Are you going to blame Lego for giving them the tools to be able to do that? I think it's ridiculous to place the blame on a game that just happened to be the medium these people used to simulate their acts before they did them. And it's not like Doom was some underground game that only a couple people had. And it was very, very popular. It continues to be very popular. People can't get enough of the murdering Nazi spree and killing demon spree. Mm-hmm. I mean, Doom Eternal is about to come out. Youngblood just came out. There's no end in sight for these things. They get huge budgets. Hopefully our listeners can can tell. They can't know, but, you know, probably Robert's a very mellow person. <laughs> the sound of his voice. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we've talked about in earlier podcasts about how that game specifically is very cathartic for you. Doesn't yeah, the uh, 2017 Doom reboot is specifically yeah. is, that's my jam. Yeah. Love that game. So fun. We've all played, quote, violent games. It's it's a very, it, it's almost, I'd love, I wish there was more research on this, and I know there is some out there, but I think it's it's interesting, like, why is that catharsis happening? I think it's because, again, going back to all the outside influences, mm-hmm. I don't know if this is actually true or not. I'm pretty sure that it is. But I would say that there is a larger percentage of male players than there are female players in the gaming industry. That continues to be a gap that gets closer and closer to being 50-50. Right, but, but yeah, like, sure. Let's say it is for, yeah. for your argument. Yeah, Influenced by you know pop culture and stuff prior to games and all that kind of stuff is I think we're kind of naturally unfortunately and this is kind of like a a much larger you know topic but we're more kind of I want to say violent prone (laughs) (laughs) oh boy this is a this is a big one yeah okay (laughs) 
<laughs> um, You're saying that men are more attracted to violence? Yes. That's like if you want to boil it all down, yes. Okay. And wait, wait, hold on. What does that mean for this? What does it mean for video games? Games that play into that. I'm not trying to speak for the whole, you know, male side <laughs> of the human race. Go for it. Um, oh, no. Be, be, the, be the 50% of yeah, yeah, yeah. the world. Um, Do it. Is because we enjoy, like, conquering things and we enjoy, like... <laughs> I know, I know. It's, it is. Uh, no, go for it. Continue. That's why, you know, people make violent games is because we want to blow some stuff up. <laughs> Dadgummit. Ain't nothing wrong with that. Oh, my Trying God. Trying to saw a demon in half. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. So much this to This is all just to trigger yeah. Jesse. <laughs> yeah. I know. It's, it's, yeah. You feeling triggered? Feeling Very. Triggered? Um... <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a big argument happening right now, and this is why we're talking about this, is what came first, the chicken or the egg? Yeah. Did the violence, are, are people violent because of the media? It doesn't have to be games, it could be a bunch of media. Or are we, is humanity inherently violent? And humanity is inherently violent. And these are way... Media is a form of releasing that and not inflicting that in the real world on each other. Hopefully. George, thoughts? Obviously, I, I wasn't around. Like, if you were to go back way, you know, <laughs> medieval, dark ages, that sort of stuff. Vikings, at least from what I know of, they aren't a docile community or right. society. It's from like there was more glorification us. and Valhalla and ascending and... And that sort of stuff, and you the glory of battle is that you know? was that battle necessary for their well being though survival that maybe was it survival That's, less culture desire was predicated on it was that culture formed from their need of survival it's not necessarily they wanted to do it, they had to do it it may have started that way, but it was you know it became i don't know i I can't say that. I don't think we can ever know that. And I I hate I hate this either or scenario that's being pitched a lot now in the news and I think there's so many factors that go into it. I don't necessarily think that all men have this violent urge within them. <laughs> like I don't buy either of that. I think it's a lot more nuanced than that and that's why it frustrates me when people just pin the blame on video games. For media, um, I think video games are a part of the environment, of our environment, and maybe it is one factor of a million, but it's hard to even make that argument that that's instilling violence in us because just from your own experiences, you guys find, I and I find catharsis in some of these violent games. It, I don't like get off the the game. I don't close the game down and I feel like I need to go do something physical like no it's a way for me to unwind and relax and get out tension so just where you might have your examples your few examples of a mass shooting and that that person has a lot of hours logged on their shooter game like there's hundreds more examples of people going home and relaxing and playing these games and using it to decompress and to chill out so 
for me, mm-hmm. it is sort of like that. But instead of decompressing, it's like purposely exciting my central it's nervous system rush. into fight or flight mm-hmm. in the same way that like someone would as a way to whatever that, you know, lizard brain DNA deeply baked in. I'm a human being, so I have to do this thing where they would go skydiving maybe is mm-hmm. what I would equate it to. Mm-hmm. Cause it's like, you're purposely getting yourself in like an anxiety induced situation where there's high tension and you have to react to it. And That's kind of the simulation. Physical risk. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a absolutely no risk, low stakes, but I still get that same sensation. Mm-hmm. And so it fulfills like that quote unquote need or desire yeah. in a safe way. Yeah. That's all it is for me. It's not something that I ever really consider outside of that context, really. And it's not like I feel it nagging at me and I'm like, oh man, I can't wait to play Doom. Like <laughs> I, I got to do it. Yeah. But when I do, that's kind of the sensation I get. Except when you first got the game. Oh man, I can't stop. <laughs> I'll be waiting years so for this. Good. Uh, yeah, so I, I don't Doom like... Doom Eternal, it can't come soon enough. All right, I'm done. Yeah, so exactly. There's lots of factors, is my point. And I have many more personal experiences of friends in my community that do play video games where that's a relaxing thing for them sure. and not a uh, insidiously putting subconscious thoughts about doing violent acts. Right, but... No- I guess maybe violent acts is not the right term of it. It's, you know, it's the feeling of conquering something. If that makes sense. Uh, For me, different words, same idea. It's accomplishment. Yeah. It's a, because there is like inherent challenge in that game. I think there is that you feel accomplished when you complete the goal, but that's not specific to violent games. Obviously there are a lot of other objective based games where you get that same sense of, yeah, get to that too. I think it's the visceral like rush that you get. Like when you play the game though, is what I'm kind of getting at. Take the sense of accomplishment out of that. And it's like, what makes you feel, you know, that when you do those, because you're in a situation that's kill or be killed, right? That's the simulation. Sometimes it's not so fictional and sometimes it's not so steeped in fantasy where we're Nazis and demons. Some examples have been a little bit more literal and people have not reacted well to that. So the most prominent example is the no Russian mission from Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2. For those who don't know, quick summary, you are assuming the role of an undercover CIA agent and you're trying to win the trust of a Russian terrorist group. And so you participate in a mass shooting in an airport security terminal as a way of winning their trust. And it's not baked into the story as a cutscene. It's gameplay based. So you're being asked to, or you're not, you're not being asked. You're being prompted to implicitly mow down a bunch of innocent people in a public setting. That is, so you're asked, being asked to participate in a mass shooting, but you don't have to. That's right. You don't have to. You can skip the entire level. I think you're prompted to do that. And then I think you also have the option to, even if you do play the level, you don't actually have to murder any innocents mm-hmm. to complete the level. Right. So I don't know about you guys, but when I'm playing a video game and it gives me a prompt to do something, and unless it tells me I don't have to do that prompt, to me, my gamer head is like, I have to do that to move forward in the game. That's very odd in a video game to not have to do a level to move forward. So, you know, most cases, if you don't have to, they tell you that, do you want to skip this cutscene? Do you want to move on to the next session? So it's, it's very like, 
I feel like the argument's very weak if the developers come back and say, well, you could have skipped it unless they're explicitly saying you can skip it. It's, it's, not, it's not intuitive. And the game industry throughout the years has, has taught us that's how we play. So any gamer that's had experience playing other games would think, I got to go and do this. Or at the very least, I'm conditioned to, oh, I'm missing out on story, so I'm missing out on this chunk, and I won't understand the rest of the game if yeah. I just voluntarily skip through this. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, this chapter, trigger warning for this chapter in this book, it's going to have this thing, this horrible thing. Skip to the next chapter if you don't like it. So you do get two prompts, apparently. We're mm-hmm. looking at this now. You get a prompt at the beginning of the game, and you get a prompt right before the mission begins, and it's labeled as disturbing content. And then there's this other option, I guess, where at any point in the level you can pause it and skip it that way, but that's kind of the weakest one. I think you, in order to have due diligence, I think you have to be completely explicit. If you're going to include something like this, the responsible thing to do is to be very literal in the content of the prompt. It's like to outline the entire context, like disturbing content. You don't miss out on anything by doing this. This is the kind of content that is included in this and you're voluntarily opting out of it at it doesn't i don't know but then at that point it's like why even include it right Mm -hmm. does it if it's totally unnecessary to tell the story if it's totally unnecessary for the player to get the experience of playing the game if it's a blurry line yeah what do you mean it's on the the platform of immersion of whether or not to include or not include that it's like it may not be a literal, like, in a chronological sense of, like, this fact leads to that fact and blah, 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 blah. But it's more of, like, the emotional portion of it. So what is there, just for the sake of a conversation, what is the learning lesson or emotional engagement that a player would hypothetically get out of experiencing that level? One player who plays it may not get the same reaction as another player who plays it because everybody's different. It's like the the sense that you have is like this is very bad is your bare minimum primal probably instinct to it, I would think. But then again, it's like if you take like I'm viewing it from my perspective, somebody in some other country may not have it the same way. And that's like a, a much hairy thing. But I would like to think in a in my own bubble and point of view that the message that you're sending is like this is a very terrible act. I think the most responsible thing to do is to be inclusive of every possible perspective that you can imagine. And there's definitely a subset of people where because this video game is a single player campaign and presumably you're playing it in a context where you don't have an audience. It's a one one to one relationship. And there's that like veil of privacy, even though it isn't real, you can get caught up in it. There's this part of the audience that, could see this as like a sociopathic or psychopathic indulgence. But it's like at that point, do you include any of the rest of the game? The main difference that made this controversial is that you were shooting civilians, right? There are plenty of instances in games where people go and shoot NPCs and all that kind of stuff all the time. And it's funny. Is it? Depending on who watches it. The ragdoll physics are funny. Not the actual... The yeah. murdering itself you know is funny. I mean. Yeah, well, no, I mean, it's worth like actually saying what part of it is funny. It's funny to see 
absurdity. Yeah. I think the that's the part of it that has humor in it. It's not necessarily the deaths. That's not funny at but all. But you could also take that out of context too, and somebody you know may not have that reaction to it. A large majority of people might have that reaction to it, but not everyone. Yeah, sure. Like you're saying, it's everybody's going to take it with a different lens, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's how connected are you to the story? Some people view NPCs as completely like they're not, they're not character, like they're not, they're not even people. They're just like they see it as set dressing. And that goes back to a larger discussion of is it the instruction of the developer to you know cover all those bases, you know, when they you know create these games? Because I don't think you know that's fair to the developers that it's not on them i mean yes they do carry a responsibility but it's not entirely on them to you know make a game one specific way versus another going back to this call of duty terror scene it's it's not like you're viewing it happening it's they're they're giving you the ability to be a part of this terrorist group that is mowing down innocence it's not just it's not like npc innocence it's that have the they're just filler in the background. No, that the purpose of them is to die to cause uh, a scene. And that's what I'm saying is like one person may read into it that way, and another person may not. I think in this because it's so literal and it's prompted by the story and context. Yeah. I don't know that it leaves as much room for a broad range of interpretation. I don't think there is ever a way to be all-inclusive of everyone and to make what is would be a perfect game that doesn't step on people's toes and that doesn't... I don't think there's harm in trying to you know strive for that. But at the end of the day, it's like people are going to take it the way people are going to take it and there's nothing you can do about it. And you don't have, you don't have to play the game. It's not like you're forced to play the game. and you know, not forced to this, make the game. Well, yeah, I'm just, but uh, that's what I'm saying. It's like people are going to make it. It's like there's nothing you can do about it because you don't have control over, you know, everyone. Right, but that is, there is something you could, that governments can do about it. Right, but what I'm saying is that stuff will still exist. It may not be in the front face of, you know, the public, but it's like that stuff. But this example, like this is Call yeah. of Duty. Right. This is Call of sure. Duty. Like, this is one of the most popular game series out there. Sure. They have a bigger responsibility. And I think there is a great difference between putting that scene on rails in a cinematic and putting you in control. There's a giant psychological difference there. But they um, do give you the option to not do it. They do. But I think there's a distinction that's worth talking about, and whether like they even give you for, that option. It's like ratings should for they give you that option that are rated R and you know PG thirteen. Movies are all on rails. It's all cinematic. There is a difference, I believe, between putting the you, the character, and the player that has the gun that is shooting these innocents in in this setting that this game has created. So you're saying the avenues should never exist in the first place? I don't see a reason to create a simulation of a mass shooting. Sure. I don't think there's really a good reason for that, that I can see. I mean, I could, I'm open to being convinced otherwise, but... I understand a cinematic showing you trying to infiltrate this group and the group committing a horrible act, and that sets the stakes. I yeah. understand that. You realize the shit you're in yeah. and what you have to overcome and the danger that this group is, sure. so it like sets, us, it sets up the, the game. Um, but I think you but, know, if you were to ask the people who made that 
thing that there is that kind of flip-flop is like did they make it i wouldn't think that they would make it just to put that in the game and in its certain context that it is that you actually play through that oh yeah they're trying to create gravitas around like very much raise the stakes of the situation and get you like oh crap like like, i'm in this now because it won't have the same effect if and you could you could argue that because of not having that same effect it's for the better and it's It's more effective in engagement yeah yeah I don't know though. It's are there other ways to do that potentially? I don't know. Or maybe maybe I, there- I don't pretend to know what <laughs> the answer to that. We're is. just all talking about these things. Uh, I can't know for sure. Yeah. yeah, it's just interesting sake of discussion yeah. stuff. But maybe maybe there's something that exists between a like purely cinematic thing and something that is you're completely in control and being prompted to do this. Mm-hmm. I don't know exactly what that. Maybe it's some like combination of the. Quick action, uh, quick yeah. time events. Mm-hmm. I don't know, is that an in-between? I don't know. You're still participating in that. I don't know what it looks like, but I don't know. It's tough. It's and tough it goes because... back to like movies that, you know, because there are controversial scenes in movies. And when, you know, asked the director, they felt that it was necessary to have that particular thing. And, you know. Well, you know what I appreciate when they actually are putting you in that action? There, there's quick, there's cut scenes where it, it's actually just like Bioshock when there's controversial actions to take and you're prompted, do you go this path or that path? And there are consequences for that path instead of just putting it in the story and hoping the character comes to the right conclusion about that being a horrible thing you just did. <laughs> um, but you have the prompt. It's a different avenue, but you have the prompt to skip it. You do. And like, it's like this, you have the prompt to skip it, but I don't know. Cause I never played this game, right. but I don't know if that comes to bite you in the butt later. If you actually did partake no. in that, Exactly. I think the more controversial you're going to get with an, a, a scene like that where you're mowing down innocence, sure. I, want, I want there to be a strong message later about how, wow, that was fucked up. <laughs> um, yeah, if you're going to do things that are like the deep, dark depths of exploring moral questions, then having some kind of a direct commentary on your mm-hmm. decision seems like the responsible thing to do. Sure. That's the responsible. So you can still have that darkness and give the player the chance to choose like that. Um, yeah. I just Aries. want that level of like developer responsibility to address what they just had the character, the character may or may not. Have and done to it, me, but. that's in the d- skip the scene. You're saying address it in like, in the sense of like, if you actually do do it, then yeah. say something about it. Or what if you did decide to engage in the scene, but you didn't actually shoot anyone. You just followed the prompt and followed the leader. Maybe there's a cool scene later where that shows up of like, oh no, you didn't actually kill anyone in that scene. Or maybe, and this is kind of towing more into like a true RPG cyberpunk Uh complex territory, but what if you had the option to stop the terrorist group that you're insurgent with? Mm -hmm. As part of like your agency, you can decide to like shoot them instead uh, that, that, so that's really the I actually answer, think but... the, in the in the this particular case that the prompt makes you skip only part of that level oh so it's just that first part so it's like it's a thing of like if you want this more visceral immersion you can have it if not it's kind of like in settings where like you know this for gears of war you can turn off graphic content or not have graphic content where there's no blood and gore and all that kind of stuff so it's like the options are there and you're not missing out on anything because you're just skipping that portion of the level. But if you want, you know, that 
true experience, that immersive experience, or however you want to label it, you know. Whether you skip it or not, I don't care. I what I want is is some commentary on it. That's so. What I want. Here's a different topic that might bring some more light to this. Cannibalism, for some reason, is something that is featured in a lot of RPGs, and it becomes at first. What RPGs have you been playing? So in New Vegas, there's an entire really long side quest line with this whole group of subgroup of people who have come out of like the nuclear wasteland and they're cannibals and they mask it as with all this cultural culture around like respect for bodies. And Mm -hmm. they, they have like a really interesting way that they view it. And I won't go so far as to say that it's like a higher order way of engaging in cannibalism, but mm-hmm. they try to dress it up and like, like they're literally wearing tuxedos. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. There's some kind of like a cult association with it. So they have this whole philosophy and backing reasoning behind it. And so it creates a more morally gray presentation of that idea. And it makes it a little bit more interesting than just on its face cannibalism, which would be something like, uh, what the most recent Resident Evil, like actual installation, not the reboot of two, has cannibalism just kind of on its face. It's very dirty, and there's not really. It's included to make the villains more villainous. Mm-hmm. So that's I don't know when it comes to moral quandaries like that. I I don't know. It's so hard. Like does does hard. the cannibalism really need to be in the game for the game to be a good game? No, but is that storyline extremely compelling and gets you to think about something in a different light and have all of these direct indirect associations with other kind of cult things that we just kind of generally accept as part of our everyday life and get you to more critically examine those things for what they are and try to see the most base part of their philosophy. I don't know. I, I would, I think it's, I think at the end of the day, I want to see it more than I don't even when it comes to this and it's almost like you have to you don't have to take all of it in and say yes to all of the morally questionable content there is a burden of responsibility if you do it i believe at the end of the day but i don't want people to developers to feel like or to be have dictated by law to not be able to explore these ideas because it's in certain ways, it's been really informative for the my worldview and perspective. I think it's valuable. I think my argument is, yes, it's okay to see all this stuff, but the minute you ask the player to engage in that, were you ever asked at any point, hey, here's some human meat? Yeah, you can eat people. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, was there any there's follow-up a, or commentary on it? or? Uh, it's multifaceted. So if you engage in it, there's a story consequence, mm-hmm. and there's actually a gameplay consequence. Mm-hmm. So you t- start to take on these things that affect the way your health works and things that are detrimental. Yeah. You see, that, that's what... Video games are different than literature and film and television because you are a player that controls a character. So I want to see consequences. I just It's not the same as just passively consuming it. It's you're, you're giving... Human you're, meat? You're putting back... <laughs> consuming the human meat, yes. <laughs> Uh, but at the same time, it's still a medium to which you're exposed to stuff that you're not actually, you know, doing that. You know what I'm saying? It's like you and your physical body aren't actually going to, you know, do that stuff. It's like there's still a a wall there. It may be a thinner wall than what it would be for, you know, 
movies or reading books and, yeah. and that sort of stuff. But that's what, that's just why I like I like to see games that like Robert was saying there there's an effect from taking sure. part. Yeah. There there's consequences or maybe not or it's hard because it's like. I think if you go back to why movies and video games and all that kind of stuff are so successful is because how influential influential they are and how powerful they are. And I think that by telling the vast majority of people out there that you can only do these certain kinds of things, that just, that seems like a limiting factor because I think part of the reason why you, to your point, that they had the power to influence people and to kind of alter people's perspectives and minds is because some of that hard hitting content is there, you know, example Schindler's list and showing how awful, you know, living in a concentration camp, you know, in world war two. Yes. But it had a message. If it was just footage of mindless killing sure. of people with no, yeah, I, I want a message. I want, I want but them to talk about it. I think the message isn't a literal like text on screen type. No, of not at all. Thing or saying something. I think sometimes the message is you have to kind of dig up for your own self. You know what that is, whether it has like a literal consequence or something like that. And again, it goes back to who you are playing this game. It's going to be different for everyone. You know whether you have a message or something like that or not. It's like that stuff is still going to exist. I think it's awesome that people are advocating for you know wanting to make games in a more responsible light, and I think that's necessary. But at the same time, I don't think that we. I don't know. I think good when I'm talking about message, like good media has themes. Whether or not they tell you at the end of the day, like a South Park episode. Well, I think the moral of this story is no. But there's an underlying theme, and that is crafted in, in this, in these games and movies and literature. And I think it's lazy if they they just throw cannibalism or mowing down terror or innocence in a terrorist group without having a larger message. Um, so you're saying that for it. it's more irresponsible of them that they should be thinking for the, all the people that would be playing the game? Is that what you're saying? I th- people have different perspectives. Yeah. They've grown up differently. Whether or not they get the theme or not, that's on them. Right. That's an analytical thinking. Yeah. Not everyone's going to take it or receive it. Not everyone gets the point behind Schindler's List and a bunch of... Yeah, anyway, you know. But uh, that's no excuse to not put it in there. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I fully... I don't think... I don't like censorship. I don't think... Yeah, I hope I'm not coming off that way of... You shouldn't be putting these bad things in game. No, there's a reason that some of these things, dark themes are in there. It's to make a point on how dark they are. (laughs) You're just saying put Uh, a metaphorical fine print type thing of like, hey. (laughs) Disclaimers at the top. No, I just want there to be a point to it. Yeah. Don't just do it to be dark and edgy. I want there to be a point. But that's what I'm saying. That's why I think there is a point. And it's like you have to dig. Yeah. Here you go. The loop continues. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's move on. Yeah. Uh, this is where my true beliefs on on video game violence is, is going to come forward. <laughs> um, I think it's ridiculous to label the entire genre of video games as violent and causing violence, where shooters specifically are such a minor subset of... Um, it's one genre of many. Under the video game banner. 
And not that I even think shooters are the cause of violence, but there are plenty of games and developers that purposely make games that, I don't know if they're thinking, I don't want to be violent in this game, but not necessarily that, but there are creative ways around uh, the typical point-and-shoot-a-person shooter game. I think a very obvious one that I know Robert and I have played is Splatoon. I love Splatoon. <laughs> it's so fun. <laughs> have you gotten to play that, George? No. Oh, it's fun. Okay. I know. I know. You'll look at Splatoon from a distance. Like, I don't know about all that kitty stuff. Super fun. No, love I, it. Like, I have no... Because I played it a couple times with you guys, I think. And I was like, yeah, this is fun. Yeah. It is. Just, this is super fun. Basically, Nintendo's answer to a shooter for kids. Yeah. That's not Fortnite. Fortnite. It's actually still using guns and stuff. <laughs> it's paintball. I think it's not even just paintball, get paint on the other person. Paintball, because even that has still the shooter aspect of it. It is The goal isn't to attack other people, other characters. You can. You can still shoot them with paint. But the goal at the end of the day, the winning team is the one that has the most paint of their color covering the stage. And I think that's genius. It's competitive, but it is conflict-free. So... You can attack other people to get them to reset and go to the start of their base. But why waste time? Like, maybe if it's convenient on your way to doing something. But I found in my gameplay, it's much better to be spending time covering your side with paint than it is to be going after people specifically. Sure. I guess when you make the primary objective not about attacking other players, and that's just a secondary strategy, mm -hmm. it totally changes the dynamic. Yeah. But there's still going to be those noobs out there that are going to want to, you know, it's like, their sole purpose yeah. in, in the game is to... Shooty, shooty, bang, yeah. bang. And they're going to lose. <laughs> I I think it's just really cool. It's a pretty recent game that was made, in the, the first one was made only several years ago. And the fact that it became so popular, it's, it's now a main pillar in Nintendo's lineup of original IPs. And that is so cool to me. I'm going to play Splatoon 2 later. Nice. Love this game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I read an article where the producer, Nogami, he stated that he was asked about, like, did you purposely try to make this game, thinking about staying away from um, the violent shooter type? He said he, that he didn't actively think about reducing the violence in the game he, he makes. It's more about just making something enjoyable for players of all ages, which is awesome. So yeah. sweet. So innocent. So Nintendo. So Nintendo. The first party, the mm -hmm. good feels. Yeah. There's another example of anti-violence. I don't. It's not really anti-violence. It's no. just doing shooter genre without being actually shooting humans. Yeah, uh, Morphe's Law is kind of an interesting one. And honestly, I don't really. Have you heard of this one, George? You know about this? Morphe's Law. Maybe if I describe it, you'll understand. It. So it's like red and blue characters. You're on teams, and it's still a shooter, but. The primary mechanic in this game is when you fire at people, wherever you hit them, the particular body part you make contact with, that body part grows and yours shrinks. So your size of your target is corresponds to your level of skill. And if you start to get like gigantic, everybody can hit you because you're literally a huge target. It's kind of a fun idea. I honestly, it's not one that I'm personally super interested in trying, but it is such like a fun interesting new concept i could see elements of that being incorporated as maybe a part of another game that i might be more into whatever doesn't matter really cool example of a game doing something shooter based that's a little bit different being creative subverting the genre yeah, yeah. 
the games Flower and Journey, I've talked about them before. They're both very peaceful games that focus on exploration. There's there's no hitting or shooting of any kind. It's literally you can move the joystick and jump. <laughs> so, And there's no even enemies to avoid or hit. It's um, purely focusing on the beauty of the exploration. And I think that's wonderful. Which journey's on the Epic Games Store now. Yeah, did you play? What, is gotcha. it really? Yeah. Oh. You should play. You should play sure. full surround sound. Oh, yeah. Full big screen, dark room. Are you going to get it, George? Maybe. Thinking about it. Cool. You should. <laughs> uh, and I think that these games are a perfect example. There's plenty of games like this where there's a giant discrepancy between how the world views the video video games and and the reality of the diversity of genres in gaming. Uh, I thought this was funny, but I put down Mario Party and Mario Kart as examples that they're nonviolent games, but they invoke lots of violent feelings inside of me. <laughs> So I probably curse the most when I'm playing these games, and I feel like hitting something. <laughs> so I, I yeah, you, you can't necessarily say shooters are the main cause of violence because Mario Party has done a lot of. It's an ongoing joke in in the community that Mario Party breaks friendships, ruins friendships. So well, I never played Half Life, but I find Portal One and Two interesting its development history as being the team that created Half Life, and you know Half Life was. Is this accurate? Because I've never played it, but it, it focuses. It's like a, a shooter that uses fun physics to inflict violence. It's a violent game, but in a creative way. Its weapons are creative. Portal, they decided to make Portal 1 and 2, which, you know, there there's some violence in it because there's a bunch of obstacles that are trying to kill you. But they give you a weapon that's purely physics-based, and it's a it's a giant puzzle game, essentially, a physics puzzle game. And there's things that shoot at you, but you don't have a way to shoot back at it unless you use creative physics to make them shoot themselves, you know, so on and so forth. I think that's a really a, a cool subversion. Not yeah, all video games cause violence. Yeah, exactly. Guys. Guys. But games will cause violence. What do you mean? That <laughs> bastard Luigi keeps <laughs> putting blue shells on me. <laughs> yeah, so I just thought those were all very fun, uh, interesting examples of how shooters aren't just everything that the world imagines them to be. And they are not a representation of the video game, of video games in general. So, you know, I want to talk about the violence in Star Wars. Yeah? Yeah. yeah. What's up with that? Well, you know, that's what happens when you have a uh, dictator in control of the galaxy, and sometimes you need to fight back. Gotta revolt. Gotta revolt. Because living conditions aren't so great. Mm-mm. So we have to kill people to resolve that? Yep, because they won't yeah. take the hint. Well, he took over, you know, the Senate. The Senate handed it over to the dictator, so. Through Let manipulation. Th through manipulation. Let that be a lesson. They tried peaceful resolve, but they're like, uh-uh, we don't like your ideology. We're going to do our own thing. Mm. And they're like, okay, well, most of the, all these people are suffering, so here we go. Let's move on. Yep. <laughs> Okay, so those were all really good examples of how gaming can be competitive and fun and invoke fun tension, but not necessarily be violent in its form. We have another subcategory of controversial games. I'll quickly go through these examples and we can talk about them a bit. So the first one is, if we're going way back to the original NES, we have Punch-Out, which anybody who's 
seen screens of that game, a lot of the opponents are really ridiculous racial and cultural caricatures that are, that would never fly now, especially if it was brought up to date with the graphics. I mean, it's just like, there's too much sensitivity around stereotyping. Um, I mean, he's literally an Italian character named Pizza Pasta. Like, are you serious? <laughs> it's ridiculous. Bob Charlie. Oh, I wonder what that sounds like. Yeah, you're Jamaican. <laughs> and then Vodka Drunkinsky. That is so bad. The Russian. Um, and then it's kind of, it's not just in their names, but if you go and look at the character designs, it's like, oh boy. So that's one subcategory we'll revisit in a minute. And then we have two of pretty similar examples uh this first one there's actually a game it's called jfk reloaded i almost feel guilty even just talking about this game but it's a literally an assassination simulator for the jfk assassination and you think about the context of this game it's not like the jfk assassination took place like 200 years ago and it's a reenactment of historical no ted kennedy was still alive when this game came out it was brought to his attention think about that that's so messed up. I mean, not obviously it's messed up on its face, but it's kind of exacerbates the fact that brother's still alive. And I think the main difference we're trying, the reason we put these in a separate category is because while we were talking about messaging um, in games that maybe invoke historical events or they're using themes or lessons from these historical events in, in their fictional worlds, uh, these are just on their face value. Just they are making. Well, we'll discuss this later, but it it seems to me they're just making a hardcore statement, and that statement not may not be the best statement. <laughs> Maybe the punch out example is they didn't realize realize at the time, and just the culture was it was very problematic. But <laughs> they're trying to be cutesy, but the exaggeration and the exact form of the exaggeration yeah. is being a little bit over the line. Yeah, I this guess. section we're just kicking nuance but again, out the door. It's a different time period. Not that far a time period, but I'm saying it's a different time where, you know, the things that we have today and the interconnectivity that we have today didn't exist back then. Yeah, the heightened cultural sensitivity to stereotyping and the offense of that has definitely changed a lot. So we're judging it by today's standards. Not totally appropriate, but it's video games are forever. So live with that. So our next example is Jesus Strikes Back Judgment Day. <laughs> Which It's like, exactly as it sounds. Yeah, it sounds funny, and but more. it's not. It's it's sort talk of about horrible. That? Um yeah. So it's a PC shooter made by a very small engine company that lets you play Jesus Christ. And this is quote from the wiki or whatever, but Allows you to play as Jesus Christ alongside a number of figures beloved by the adult alt-right, including Donald Trump, Adolf Hitler, Vladimir Putin, Peppy the Frog, Brenton Tarrant, and the Christchurch Mosque gunman who killed 51 people. Just a reminder, and the targets include SJWs, feminazis, gay and trans people, Democrats, Antifa, abortion doctors. Some wonderful settings include a mosque, a gay nightclub, and a new studio, and the U.S.-Mexico border. Um, so you can see why that's problematic. So it's funny because we started this conversation off with Wolfenstein and the obvious, no one can have a problem with shooting Nazis, right? That's the obvious evil everyone agrees. That's the bad guy. But what if a Nazi makes a game? What if a Nazi makes a game? Exactly. <laughs> um, 
so you know, try there's there's definitely uh, some school different schools of thought going on right now in America and the world. But this is so in your face, literal. There there's no there's no subtlety to this, and the fact that you know there's a lot of discussion about do video games cause these violent shootings, and this is literally using mass shootings as the setting and. Like, that is encouraged. That is the goal of the game. Mimics what we're seeing currently in the U.S. It's not even motivated by the pretense of trying to be embedded in an insurgent Russian terrorist group Mm -hmm. because you're trying to, like, ultimately, the reason for doing that is motivated by I have to get in with these people so I can get information to thwart this group because they're bad. No, this is just like... That's like you can skip it if that's too harsh for you, story-wise. Yeah. This is the whole point of the game, is to, it's like that no Russian mission times 100. It's kind of taking the satirical overdose to the extreme. It's like, initially when I, you know, when you hear Jesus Strikes Back Judgment Day, I I already know this game is absolutely ludicrous. Mm-hmm. Not everybody's going to think that, but that's what I think. Mm-hmm. And then when it's like, okay, you get to play, you know, as Donald Trump, you know, Hitler and all that kind of stuff is just like, it's even that more absurd. But then when it get you know, puts in like some of the other people that are more, there hasn't been as many years since some of these characters. And then it's the context of like, you know, shooting up, you know, these, you know, places and that sort of stuff. It's like, if it was something where it was like a, a fighting game where like Jesus fights against uh, Donald Trump and Adolf Hitler and y'all can like deck it out or something like that, I, I feel like it would be... I don't know. Obviously, I don't agree with this. I think this is horrible. But to them, those Hitler, Donald Trump are the heroes. So it's like, does that make it acceptable? Like, you just created a context where they're the enemies. But That's what I'm saying is, like, during the fighting game, there is no hero. There is no right or wrong. You, could be, you, can, go, you can play as anyone and go up against anyone. It's so the game a, isn't immediately choosing kind the of enemy. Neutral... Or the, it's just a character selection yeah. screen. Mm, I see. If it was the opposite, and it was Hillary Clinton and Obama as the heroes, and mowing down uh, MAGA hat wearing rednecks, that'd just be as bad. There were, there were, you're putting real world, like current modern real world people, citizens in in these shooter scenarios where you, where the objective is to kill them. It's more real. It's you were talking about that thin wall earlier but there's that that's they're just they just want to remove that wall they're like we're putting real life places with real people and we are we are putting a our opinion of who is the people who are the people to kill and who are the people not to sure but again it goes back to the person who's playing that game to ultimately decide for themselves well i think what we're talking about with this podcast is does do violent video games actually cause real world violence if you are removing that veil of this is fictional by setting up a game like this but it still is fictional here's the issue that's creating a stance and scenario that is inherently violent that is making a pitted position That isn't like some innocent thing where like you have fantasies about being a spy after you watch 007. 
This is exacerbating real-world conflict that has interpersonal repercussions for people's families. Like, if your parents see the world differently than you in a political way, and you're playing this game, it's either confirmation bias or it's shocking, awful, the other way around. But either way, it's very polarizing, and it's not doing anything to reconcile. It's just putting fuel to the fire. There's no deeper message in this than... Kill the people I hate right? with the people I love. To me, that's, that's horrible set dressing with no deeper message that, yes, throws gasoline onto the fire that is now. <laughs> so speaking of, George, you keep coming back to this thing of the burden of responsibility for the audience member to discern their lens, to kind of separate fact from fiction, to distance themselves enough from the game. I think that's all valid. But in order of operation, the first degree thing is the developer has a concept for a game and then goes through all of the steps it takes to actually develop and publish that game and make it available to the audience member who should be using their best judgment. But because that is the first order thing, the developer has the idea for the game that actually follows through on it. I am more likely, I guess, or I feel like it's easier to point to them Mm -hmm. and be like, you created that content to be consumed, no matter how people take it. Mm-hmm. So the burden of responsibility is on those people who did that. Mm. I mean, it's yeah, it'll be used for, in the case of Columbine, Doom. It's, I, think, I feel like that's a little bit different to create a tool set and then for people to use it in a different way. But when you're creating story and character well, and scenario... Well, the difference with Doom is they didn't create a game that had you go through schools. They turned it into a massacre simulator, but yeah, it was but not that originally. That was right. not what it was originally. That's the that's the thing. Is like their original intent was, but you know, this might be kind of intent here is an important word. I think, yeah. which differentiates this between other. And that's what I'm saying. It's like this particular type of game. You know, you intended it to be this, and now it's become that. Versus you intended it to be that, and it's doing what you want it to do. You know. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's important, and you know, we're all asking, why would they create a game like this? I, on their website, it says, quote, Jesus Strikes Back is a satirical parody. This cannot be emphasized enough. Uh, it is not a political statement, testament, or propaganda. But it also goes but back to different people having different worldviews and that sort of stuff. And it, to us, it may not, that may not be true of what they're saying. It's like, how could you see that as being just a parody and like a ha ha type thing to me? It, it in no way, like maybe the one form of parody is giving Donald Trump a good body. That would right. be parody, but like, right. Yeah. It's, but who's to say that them and their own worldviews and, and that sort of stuff is that, you know, they're basically for a very light explanation of satirical parody. That's not, it's, it doesn't have much weight. They can say that all they want. Um, it seems right. pretty for, obvious. For a lot of other people, they mm-hmm. don't see it that way. It's a difficult freedom of expression question, too. It's like, where's the boundary? What are you not allowed to do? What speech is not allowed? People are going to have different answers to that. It's very difficult to draw that line forever, and it's constantly shifting based on our context and things that happen. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. It's not about having an ultimate decision. I think... With this particular example, if you're going to do quote-unquote satirical parody, bad timing. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, don't release it now. If you want to make that game, make it in a hundred years when this whole thing is totally yeah. different context and it's right. Yeah. You know what I mean? But doing it right now, not okay. Yeah. In no way would I want this one game, and I'm sure there's a handful of others that do something similar, to infringe on the rights for freedom of expression in other games. So it's unfortunate when games like this come across uh, our lap, but that's why I think it's important to call it out as, wow, this is bullshit, guys, and here's why we think it is. And luckily, you mentioned this earlier in the podcast, but some games are going to have a lot wider audience. This is something that got the attention of someone writing, wanting to write a news article, and it, I think it has a small player base on wherever it's being sold on Steam or whatever. Yeah. And hopefully it stays that way. But and I think that's the tricky thing too is like with technology the way it it is now is like what is considered you know potential impact for your game now versus like back then is like people have tried and you could say there's some base level of how you know things take off and become viral and all that kind of stuff but there's real no like hard hard evidence as to why this you know made you know became so unbelievably popular and this thing over here you know Mm-hmm. was and but i think it's like the important thing over all of this is the influence that these range you know like we've been saying is you know that it's important that where we are now is that there's more awareness brought to the table of the potential for these things to be taken in a very bad way versus yeah so. i think if something like this happened in a Call of Duty game, it would immediately get called out and probably changed, <laughs> just like that no Russian yeah. level. Um, every every decade is going to treat these things differently, and as long as we're still talking about it, it's a good thing. Well, good news is not everybody is complicit in this. Some people are proactively trying to create games that subvert this entire, including any kind of ways to interact with NPCs that's harmful. Great example, Subnautica. Mm. I love this backstory on this game because the developer, the original idea for the game, even before the story and setting and everything were established, was I want to make a game that doesn't have any violent content at all, but is still very compelling and like a legitimate gameplay experience that people mm. want to be engaged with. And so they did that. It's a really long development cycle where they went into the early access on Steam and were getting player feedback constantly and actually listening to it and trying to work with that in tandem with their own vision and create a dialogue there. And there was this really strong voice coming through in the player base where they wanted to have some way to not outright be violent, but because the game takes place underwater, it's like, why isn't there a harpoon so we can hunt fish and Mm -hmm. stuff like this. And they were just, they kind of stuck with that original vision, which I think is so cool of, we set out to make a nonviolent game and we're going to do that. I think at some point later in the development cycle, there was a knife was added to the game, but it was added as a harvesting crafting tool. Mm -hmm. And that's the main mechanism. I think if you knife fish, he said this in the interview, there's this great video you should check out uh, where the developer's talking about it. Subnautica without weapons. You should go check it out. It's part of a war story series on YouTube. It's really cool. So um, Subnautica without weapons, is that like a different version of the actual game? Subnautica? Oh, no. So that's the title of the video where the developer's talking about the development history yeah. of the game. Yeah. 
But yeah, I think the, the closest thing that it gets to is you have that knife for harvesting and crafting and you can knife fish, but nothing happens. So because nothing happens, there's no satisfaction. They don't even react to it. There's no satisfaction or motivation to do it. And so I would immediately stop. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's like if you don't get any reaction, it's not satisfying. So it's like, oh, I'm not going to do that. It's like if you shot NPCs, but there was no ragdoll f- physics. Yeah, so I should I should be more exact in the way that I describe this and not be so blanketed. So the the creatures underwater are threatening. They can cause damage to your vehicle and your person, but you can't counteract with violence of your own. You don't have a way to violently fight back. You have to be clever with tools to survive. Mm-hmm. So well, people should check out the video, see what they think about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe you'll maybe I don't know. Maybe you'll take it differently. I thought it was a really cool idea and maybe there's some different ways to take it but yeah you could take the the aspect of violence you know to mean different things depending on you know who you talk to for the game so this next thing robert hadn't seen this video but i saw it forever ago it was a it was a launch ad made for xbox 360 back in the day i want you to watch the video hopefully you haven't seen it yet so the video is i believe it's called standoff by the community but we'll have a link to it on the episode page recommend you go check it out before we start talking about it but i wanted to bring it up because i thought it was an interesting example of this wasn't even for a game specifically it was just xbox trying to emphasize the community aspect of the new 360 at the time 2005 and um you know xbox is known for having a lot of multiplayer shooters and it got pulled they never released it for broadcast. There's no hard reason out there, but a lot of people have come up with their own theories about it. I want to know your thoughts. Yeah, what are your impressions on that, George? It's kind of twofold. One is in light of recent context and all that kind of stuff of today's day and that sort of stuff that could be perceived in poor taste. But the other part of me is like if I were younger and that you know you take out the you know recent mass shootings and all that kind of stuff it'd be like i think it would be more funny which is i think what it was originally intended to be yeah i tend to agree with both of those it's exactly what i thought i think it was surprising to think 2005 oh it's forever ago that wasn't really a thing back then and it was still Mass shootings aren't weren't as prevalent. I mean, they still happen, but it was almost fifteen years ago. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't as prevalent, and the fact that it still got pulled from broadcast is uh, amazing to me. Um, I would think now it'd be an incredibly poor taste. It, it was a scene completely in a public setting, and heck, when there's noises in the environment that sound like possible gunshots, people freak out. Like, there's so many stories about that now. So context like is so important. It. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. I, I personally think without that context, when I first saw it and mass shootings weren't as much of a thing, I thought it was so hilarious and clever. And I thought it had a, it accurately conveyed that message of everyone's playing, using the Xbox, and uh, people of all shapes and sizes, basically. So I think it's unfortunate. It's We should have the freedom of expression to do creative things like that and to show off what we want to in games and art. But context is important and you can't remove that. I think the point I wanted to make with this video. So while maybe it was okay 20 years ago, now it's a giant cringe fest. Okay, so we talked about a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. That was a lot to take in. 
not only a long episode, but a little bit taxing in terms of just the material. So thank you for hanging with us if you even made it this far. Hopefully this has been a conversation that will get you thinking about things, not necessarily in a different way, but just to be considering the content that you are actively either supporting with financially, you're creating demand for it, or just consuming in your own right because it influences your perspective. Mm -hmm. Maybe to be a little bit more aware about as you go through your day to notice these things and to notice how those things are influencing you. I think it's good to talk about too because you know, while it was a much harder to defend video games 10 years ago when it was brought up, the defense of video games came pretty quickly recently um, in the news. And I think we have a, a much larger player base. More people understand the community. And, you know, video games is a, is a form of art. There's context. and uh, Even Germany thinks so. Even Germany thinks so. So, yeah. Yeah, if you have any thoughts, reach out. We have a lot of references this time on our episode page, so please check out the website and leave us any thoughts on Instagram or Twitter. Bitbytespodcast.com. Go there. This is how you plug, right? We have a website now. (laughs) Bitbytespodcast.com. Bitbytespod is is our handle. Check it out. Check it out. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. See you next time.